Swain for leading us in prayer. I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 12. If you're able, please stand with me for the readings from God's Word this morning. Begin reading at verse 20 of John chapter 12. We'll read through to the end of verse 36. So beginning at verse 20 of John chapter 12. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a great grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates, his, hates life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sake. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I... And, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him, we have, heard of the, we have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of the light. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So a few weeks back now, we looked at the, an earlier section in John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19, and we saw Jesus' not-so-triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Last week, we had the privilege of hearing from President Bill Allen of the Associated Gospel Churches. He preached from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. You do know that the Rock Community Church is a member church of the Associated Gospel Churches. 
And so um, with Bill here preaching to us as the president, that was a, a huge privilege for us. The AGC is a uniquely Canadian association of churches that stretches all across Canada. We have a church on Vancouver Island in Victoria, B.C. We have another church in Truro, Nova Scotia, and lots in between. Certainly because it began here in the province of Ontario, this is where the majority of our AGC churches are. But the week before, I preached from a passage of Scripture. Actually, this one that we just read, we divided it into part one and part two. And I noticed that we discovered Jesus just five days prior to his death, responding to a request that came from these non-Jews, those Greeks that had approached Philip with a question. Look at again at verse 21, the end of it. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And notice there is nothing to suggest that Jesus responded to that specific question or appeal or request. But he did continue with the end in mind by laying out five realities. He defined realities. Reality number one, Jesus' glorification was time-sensitive. Reality number two, Jesus' glorification included his death. Number three, this life is seductive. Number four, Jesus is served by those who follow him. And reality number five, living according to God's plans and purposes is neither easy nor comfortable. That was part one. Jesus continued with the end in mind by defining realities. This morning we want to move on to part two of this episode, the life and ministry of Jesus. Here in verses 28 to 36, we find Jesus continuing with the end in mind by pointing the way forward. First with a clarification, and then with a commitment. Let's just take a moment and pray before we dig in a little bit here. Let's pray. Father, the scriptures inform us that it was the eternal word that spoke all these things into, into existence. Later, that eternal word became flesh, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and dwelt among us. Or as John Piper likes to say, pitched his tent in our backyard. But in these last days, you inspired human authors to write the word so that inspired and preserved by you, we have this reliable self-revelation of your person, your plans, and your purposes. Additionally, we even catch glimpses of ourselves in the pages of this book from your perspective. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together and worship you through the study of your word. May your spirit enlighten us so that we understand it as it was intended to be understood. And then empower us so that we can obey it. Help us not to be hearers only. As 
we reflect on how Jesus continued with the end of his earthly life and ministry clearly in view, may those of us who are apathetic be challenged. Those who are entangled by sin, may we be convicted. Those who are hurting or discouraged, comforted. Those who are confused, may they find clarity. Those who are lost, may they find direction. Whatever the need, Father, we're looking and trusting your word to point the way forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pointing the way forward with the end in view. Here in chapter 12, verses 28 and onward, we find Jesus pointing the way forward by clarifying heaven's commitment. Notice heaven's commitment is found in verse 28. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus had made a request not to be saved from the circumstances that have troubled his soul, but that the Father's name would be glorified. As I studied, I came across one commentator who made the following suggestion. In the hour of suffering and surrender, there is only two prayers we can pray. Either, Father, save me, or, Father, glorify your name. That's worth thinking about. In the hour of suffering and surrender, there is only two prayers we can pray. Either, Father, save me, or, Father, glorify your name. Jesus chose the latter. He asked God to glorify his name. And God responded audibly. A voice came out of heaven. Now, this was not the first time that the voice had come out of heaven. On three other occasions, we find this voice coming out of heaven. And they were always significant times, watershed moments in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. There are three mentioned in the scriptures. Do you remember them? First was his baptism. It was only heard by Jesus and John the Baptist. The second occurrence took place at Jesus' transfiguration. The voice was heard by Jesus and his three closest disciples. Then here in John chapter 12, it was heard by Jesus and this crowd that had gathered about. So the voice was heard at three significant moments in the life and ministry of Jesus. At the beginning, right at the very beginning of his public ministry, the baptism, when the time had come for him to leave his home province of Galilee, and head for the city of Jerusalem, 
the epicenter of Judaism. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 reads, When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. In fact, some translators or some translations of our Bibles say that he set his face toward Jerusalem. He was determined. We could say that he was a dead man walking into the very eye of the storm. It was a significant turning point in Jesus' life and ministry. Here in John chapter 12, we find this voice coming out of heaven at the beginning of the Passion Week, those six fateful days leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. So here are three significant moments in the life of Jesus, like the turning point of the game when this voice comes out of heaven. And at all three of these occasions, Jesus is hearing words of affirmation, words of assurance from heaven. It's like the father is in the grandstand cheering him on, cheering his son on. Notice, it was a double assurance. He has and he will. He has glorified himself in Jesus' incarnation and earthly ministry. And he will be glorified in Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And yet, although audible, not everyone got the message or at least understood the voice. Look at verse 29. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel had spoken to to them. So for those who did not believe in the supernatural, they tried to explain it away as a clap of thunder. I wonder if it was raining that day or if there was even a cloud in the sky. Others who did not believe in the supernatural or who did believe in the supernatural, they chose to diminish the importance of this voice by saying, well, an angel had spoken to him. Jesus offers four explanations to clarify this commitment from heaven. First of all, the voice, he says, came out of heaven for your benefit, not for mine. It was not that Jesus received no benefit from the Father's affirmation. Who doesn't like to hear words of affirmation? I do. I'm sure many of you do as well. But Jesus wanted to be clear. This voice was primarily for their benefit, not his. How so? Especially, how could this voice be for their benefit if they did not understand it? Think about it. Just because they did not grasp 
the significance of the voice immediately does not mean that they would never understand it. Certainly there are many things, even for Jesus' closest companions, that they did not get. It made little or no sense to them until after Jesus' death and resurrection. Once they were indwelt by the Spirit of God, in fact, Jesus promises them in John chapter 14, verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. This voice from heaven would eventually be remembered and become a divine confirmation. It would begin to make sense to the point that that shameful cross and all that flowed from it would make sense to his followers. And then finally, they could have benefited without even understanding the voice, just seeing it as a a signal from God that something very special was about to happen, like a, an amber light warning us that there's a hidden intersection ahead or a, a driveway that we cannot see. The voice from heaven was more for the benefit of the crowd standing about than for Jesus. Secondly, look at the first part of verse 31. Now, judgment is upon this world. How ironic is that? The world thought that they were standing in judgment of Jesus, and yet the cross is a judgment of the world. It's like the accuser is pointing at the accused and has three fingers pointing back at themselves. Make no mistake about it. When mankind exercised judgment on Jesus, the cross judged them. The last part of verse 31, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. That's Satan. Not God's equal, but certainly a, a powerful adversary. Remember that old hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? Verse 1 reminds us, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, a defensive wall never failing. Our helper is he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth, is not his equal, speaking of Satan, the devil, our adversary. But then there's verse 2. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Do you ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. The death and resurrection 
of Jesus Christ dealt this arch enemy of God and his people a fatal blow. Granted, he still permitted to prowl around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. But rest assured, he is defeated. His days are numbered. And his ultimate destiny has already been decreed. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. All eternity. He is a defeated foe. The death and resurrection of Jesus represents the end of Satan's power. His power of sin and death is being held in check to this very day. Thank you, Jesus. Notice Jesus' final explanation presented in verse 32 and 33. And if, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. Verse 3 is like a parenthetical statement. The Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does not want us to misunderstand what Jesus was referring to in his explanation. This is not a reference to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 where God, we are told, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that every knee will bow. He's not referring to that. That comes later. But here in John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus was first and foremost referring to his crucifixion. A crucifixion that was looming on the horizon of this very week, just five days away, where he would be lifted up from the earth, suspended by nails that were driven through his hands and his feet. I need to point out that that phrase, will draw all men to himself, is not referring to universal salvation. The scriptures are clear. Not everyone is going to experience eternal life. Only those who receive him. To them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. John chapter 1 verse 12. What Jesus was saying is that he's going to draw men and women children to himself indiscriminately regardless of race, tribe sex ethnicity he's going to draw them from all nations and folks that is really good news for the men who prompted this interaction, this episode those priests, non-Jews who had come 
wanting to see Jesus. I arrived later in the day. Marvin Grick, the Meredith brother, had been told that his cancer was terminal. There was nothing more they could do to prolong his life. The combination of the cancer in his stomach and back, along with the aneurysm on his aorta, and his weakened condition, the end is in view. I've continued to visit with Marvin over the days as time permits. He tires quickly, but he's always ready to engage. Appreciative, and I have to say, really peaceful. <coughs> he doesn't have much of an appetite anymore not even for the liquid diet that's been assigned to him. And nobody's hassling him to, to eat his food or, or drink his drink. They promise to do all that they can to keep him comfortable. He signed off on the do not resuscitate weeks ago. Got all his documents signed this past week. The lawyer was up at the hospital. This week, this past week, they've moved him into the palliative care unit. And Marvin continues with a clear view of the end. I have to admit that I've been unbelievably impressed as I've walked with him his clarity of thought and the calm which he has as he approaches the end of his earthly life is just astounding in fact I was with him this past Thursday morning and as I sat there and chatted with Marvin I, I said you know what I'm in the middle of a series right now we're looking at John chapter 12, and the title of the series is Continuing with the End in View. Marvin, I'm amazed at you. I w I'm just wondering, what would you say to people? What, what piece of advice would you give from your experience as you lay here today with the end clearly in view? Here are his words. Relax. There's nothing more you can do. I guess I've always been laid back. I think my dad was like that too. I shared the gospel with him again based on John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. 
and will not be condemned. It has passed out of death into life. And we pray together. Jesus, with his end in view, well, he pointed the way forward by clarifying heaven's commitment. He did one more thing. Jesus pointed the way by commissioning a a confused crowd. Look at verses 34 to 36, specifically verse 34. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? The crowd's confused by Jesus' last statement. His prediction has puzzled them. They've just given him a, a Messiah's welcome back to the city of Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna, waving palm branches. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now Jesus was was talking about death by crucifixion. How is that possible? Notice the crowd did not require John's parenthetical statement. They knew exactly what he was referring to when he said he was going to be lifted up and raised. But what was he talking about? See, their conclusion came from what they'd been taught from the scriptures. They understood that the Messiah would return, deliver them from all their enemies, and set up a kingdom that would last forever and ever. Maybe it was Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 that had come to their mind. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Daniel's vision. Maybe that had come to mind. Maybe it was one of the Psalms. Psalm 72, verse 17, for example. May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines. Or Psalm 89, verses 35 and 37, where the psalmist declares David's seed, his lineage, will never pass away. It will remain forever. Or maybe it was the words of that great Old Testament prophet Isaiah. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. What passage or passages of scripture that came to the minds of of this crowd? We don't know. But what we do know, what we're absolutely certain about, 
is that a death by crucifixion was beyond their wildest imagination. And Jesus addressed their confusion by shifting the focus away from his death to the end of his earthly life. Well, look at verses 35 and 36. So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of the light. How would you summarize Jesus' response? How is he pointing the way forward? You may want to underline two words in these verses. The first one is found in verse 35. Walk. And he continues by giving a reason why they should walk. So the darkness will not overtake you. A more literal translation of the original Greek might read, lest the darkness master you. And what might that look like? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Allow me to begin reading from the New Living Translation. Verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live, other translations talk about, you used to walk in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. All of us used to walk that way, following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Jesus was inviting them to walk in the light so that this kind of darkness would not master them. The second word to underline is believe. It's found in verse 36. Believe in the light. That's really the purpose behind the Apostle John's writing of this very gospel. Remember John chapter 20, verse 31? But these things I have written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that in believing you'll have life in his name. Jesus addressed their confusion by commissioning them to walk in the light. Walk in the light while you have the light. Suggests a, a sense of urgency. Believe in the light so that you become sons of light. 
gives us the purpose behind Jesus' mission. Jesus pointed the way forward with the end in view. And Jesus, remember, is God himself dressed in human flesh. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And so we can say God's directives are absolutely trustworthy. Why? Because of who he is. He is eternal. Eternal means everlasting, having no beginning and no end. When Moses asked God and said, what if the Israelites asked who sent me? God responded in this way. Tell them I am sent you. In other words, the one who has been in all of our yesterdays is present today and will be in all of our tomorrows from everlasting to everlasting. Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 27 reads, The eternal God is a dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, for you gave birth to the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God's directives are trustworthy because they come from one who has an eternal perspective. He is eternal. He's also sovereign. God is absolutely in charge. We should really commit Isaiah chapter 46 verses 9 and 10 to memory. I'll read it from the New Living Translation. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. God is sovereign. And did you catch that last phrase? He has a plan. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. And it's an unstoppable plan. And finally, he cannot lie. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Of course he will. When Jesus, God dressed in human flesh, he continued with the end in mind, the end in view, by pointing the way. His directives are absolutely trustworthy. 
and God can be trusted to point the way forward with our end in view. So, walk and believe. Notice it was just, wasn't just walk, but was walk in the light. And you and I, we don't have the presence of Jesus here on the planet. He's not with us today in a physical sense as he was when, when he first said those words. But turn with me to Psalm 1 for just a moment. We do have some resources. He hasn't left us empty-handed. Someone, and let me begin reading at verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Two resources, two possible resources for you and I as we attempt to walk in the light. Be careful whom you choose to associate. Avoid evil people, people that are not walking with God. Instead, get involved in a solid Bible-believing church. Not just involved, but engaged. And if you're looking for one, I've got a recommendation for you. Come and see me after the service. Secondly, God's Word is a resource that helps us to walk in the light. Listen to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with the Lord your God. Resource number three would be maintaining a humble relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And fourthly, the fourth resource is the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, he's just around the corner. Back in a couple of months, I'm sure we'll be in John chapter 14 by then. Actually, come back next week. We've got to do... John chapter 13, before we get to 14. But let me read just a couple of verses from John chapter 14. This is what we have to look forward to in the, in the days ahead. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. I will come to you. He's just predict predicted his death. He's going away. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And then drop down to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Do you not know that you are a temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2, 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that you may know the things freely given to you by God. What a tremendous reward. The Holy Spirit will live within us. Walk by associating and engaging with a good Bible-believing church, like the Ross Community Church. Immerse yourself in God's Word. Listen to it. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Maintain a humble relationship with God. He's God. We are the sheep of His pasture. Humble relationship. And fourthly, rely on God's indwelling Spirit. Secondly, believe in the light. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that had come into being. And listen to this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The believing in the light is synonymous with believing in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. But that's not a box that we check off. It's not only for our salvation, but it's for our sanctification as well. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 puts it this way. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. You work it out as God works in you. John chapter 14, that passage we just looked at, the Holy Spirit goes on to say, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He loves me, will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, will disclose myself to him. See, it's a walk, and it's believing that grows trust, relationship, a growing dynamic relationship that begins with an, an admission. We believe what the Bible says about us is absolutely true. We're a sinful people. That needs to be the admission. And then we need to repent of that. Turn our backs on sin. Ask for forgiveness on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And then begin to live a life in the power of the Spirit that will please God. It's a growing, dynamic relationship. Jesus defined reality with the end in view. And Jesus pointed the way forward with the end in view. Walk and believe in the light. Let's pray. Father, it would be our hope and prayer that if you haven't already, that you would draw Marvin to yourself. 
Enable him to see spiritual reality and understand your demonstration of love for him in the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be our prayer that you would be able to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing he would have life in Jesus' name, eternal life. Continue to provide comfort in these last days of his earthly life. Prepare him for eternity. And Father, we would ask that you would help us to walk in the light as children of the light. May each one of us be found trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. But beyond that, we are making a similar appeal as the desperate father in Mark chapter 9. Lord, we do believe, but, but help our unbelief. Grow us, we pray, so that we too might walk in newness of life, the newness of life that Jesus has made possible. By your power and for your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.